And for those who are listening outside these doors, we invite you to turn with us to the book of of 2 Timothy. I might have told you 1 Timothy. If I say that, you know, through this message and you go to 1 Timothy, you don't find where I'm talking about, just go to 2 Timothy. I do that sometimes and it clicks later. 2 Timothy will be in chapter 1 and uh, and also chapter number 3. And I, I really can't claim originality for many of the things that we're going to talk about this morning. But who can claim originality except for God when it comes to the Scripture? But I have mulled this over enough to, I think, internalize what we're going to go through this morning in our study in the Scripture. And if you'll think it through and you mull it over and you internalize it as well, it'll be just as much of a blessing to you as it has been for me to be able to meditate on these things and to be able to connect the dots one more time and just say, that's exactly right. So with that, you know, and today being Mother's Day and everything, we're going to look at two ladies in the scripture that I'm sure, you know, many other pastors across the country are going to reference this morning, but ours is going to be special because we're here and we're going to look at at two mothers, a grandmother and a mother who had a tremendous influence on another young man that was involved in ministry. And so in 1 Timothy chapter number one, I see I did it right there, just seeing if you're awake. You're still in 2 Timothy, right? Okay, checkpoint number one. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I begin in verse number 5. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, you know, I'm remembering something. Something's coming to my mind here. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, in who? Singular, that's Timothy. The unfeigned faith that's in Timothy. He says, that's not where it began. It dwelt first, where? In thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded that in thee also. Now I want you to turn to chapter 3. And I'm going to back up and start reading at verse number 10. But I really want you to pay attention to verse 12 to the end of the chapter. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes and says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine. Note that. He's telling Timothy, You've fully known what I've been teaching. And what I've taught, my doctrine, you've known how I've lived, my manner of life. You've known my purpose. I've not hidden that. You've known my faith, long-suffering, charity. That's love on display, love in action. Patience. Timothy, you've known my persecutions. You've seen my afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, What persecutions I endured, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child. Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, every word of God, every part of the writing, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed, if you will. It's given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, that is mature, whole, entire, not lacking anything, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Lord, I pray that you'll bless our time in the scriptures today. 
Thank you for the wonderful music and the hymns and, and the psalms that we've been able to sing and, and for the Proverbs that we've been able to read. And all of it has drawn our heart and mind to say, thank you, Lord, for being so good to give us what you know we need. And Lord, thank you for the example we have in Scripture here of these two ladies. And for us, all these thousands of years later, to be able to sit down and still talk about them, their enduring impact, and to be able to see how they impacted Timothy, and then to apply that to our own lives, and look beyond faults, look beyond failures, look beyond the shortcomings of, of what we see all around us, and to be able to look uh, to your precious truth here, and to be able to say, thank you, Lord for giving us instruction that can help us grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll bless our time in your word to make us more like Jesus than when we came. We'll thank you for what you accomplished in his precious and holy name. Amen. Writing of Timothy here, who, remember, Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith. Now, I take that to mean that there was a day in Timothy's life where Paul would come and spend some time with him and Eunice and Lois. And through their interaction, Paul would be able to sit down with them and open up the scriptures and more plainly show Timothy that everything that he was taught growing up is fulfilled in Jesus. And one day, Timothy put two and two together in the old math. That'll sink in a minute. He put that together and he said, Jesus Christ needs to be the object of my faith. And he made that step and became a believer. And through that, Paul would be his his father in the faith in that sense. So he's the one that told him about Jesus and who he was and how he fulfilled all that the Old Testament did, all those prophecies. And Timothy got saved. So Paul really kind of adopted him, took him under wing. That's a good example for us, isn't it? I think we can learn from that. If there's somebody in your life that you love and you're praying for and you can open the scriptures with them and help them see Jesus more fully, why not take that extra step like Paul and, and adopt them and say, I want to help you walk, walk along as you grow for the Lord. You know, that's how the scriptures teach us it ought to work. The older teaching the younger, the more mature, the, those that have been down the road a little ways, helping those that haven't come along behind. And, uh, and you see it over and over again. One person taking another person and helping them, helping them understand Jesus more plainly. So Paul talks about Timothy as his son in the faith. And he tells us in, a, in another place, if you look at Philippians, just um, keep your finger in, in 2 Timothy. And look at Philippians, turn back in your New Testament, just a few pages to the epistle to the Philippian believers. And you'll see in chapter uh, 2 and verse number 20. Brother Mike did a great job covering this when he was going through the book on, on Sunday nights. He says, um, uh, did I say 2.20? I gave you the wrong verse. Oh, I'm in the wrong epistle. That's why I didn't go back far enough. Here we go. 2.20. This should be right. There we go. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. When Paul says this, he's talking about one man in particular, and that man is Timothy, his son in the faith. So all that Timothy grew to become for the Lord. And Timothy's going to be able to be entrusted with ministerial duties. Paul's going to leave him in key places, along with other men like Titus, to set things in order. Timothy's going to have some time ministering in Ephesus and different places. And and what a journey that must have been 
You know, it's Timothy that is told to take the things that he has seen from Paul and pass those on to the next generation of faithful people who will teach others also. And so think about that. Did that work? How long ago did Paul live? Have you ever met him? No, too long ago for, for me to even talk about. Right? That wasn't even a thought, surely. And none of us in here were. I'm talking about over 2,000 years ago. And he said to Timothy, you take the things that I've taught you, that I've showed you, and you pass those things to faithful people who will then be able to teach others also. And look where we are today. And this is just, you know, a small gathering of, of God's people here at Broomfield. People that know and name the, the name of Christ and believe on him. There are plenty of other people that aren't in this room that know the Lord Jesus that are right here in this area. I know, but there's plenty that don't. And those batons can be tossed, passed to them. Don't toss them, pass them to them. But you understand, Paul here has a heart for Timothy. And he says, there's nobody like Timothy, nobody like-minded like him. What in Timothy would Paul see that would, that would allow him to make this kind of commendation? To be able to say, there's nobody like Timothy that I can entrust coming to Philippi and taking care of things there. Nobody like that. What stood out in Timothy? Can I say that I don't believe it started with Timothy? We've got to look deeper than Timothy to see how Timothy was shaped and how Timothy was, was fashioned into the character that he became. And you're already thinking about people in your life, aren't you? Why are you who you are today? Who is it that has helped shape you? Whether they were devout Christians and knew their Bible inside and out or not, that's not the question. Because the principles of God's word, the truths that we operate by, they can be passed down in ways to where it's, it's not just, you know, coming and quoting scripture, and memorizing Bible. And, you know, you can have the Bible integrated in your life and not even know it until you read the scripture and you go, oh, that's why we did things that way. <laughs> okay, there is a scriptural base. Now, not all of it is, okay? Don't take that to an extreme. You'll find plenty of things out there that it's not scriptural and you shouldn't do. But I think you understand there's a greater principle at work here. He says there's nobody like Timothy. Paul's answer, part of that, is given here in, in our text that we read. And he singles out, out of, out of all the things that we could pinpoint about Timothy, he singles out his unfeigned faith. Underline that, mark that, highlight that word. This is an unfeigned faith that dwelt in him. And where did this faith come from? His faith in God. Well, there were some factors that strengthened that. And he affirms this is in Timothy. He observes it. He sees it. But he knows it also began in his grandmother and in his mother. Passed down from generation to generation. This faith upon which Timothy operated. So we have here the faith of three generations. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I mean, think about that. Think about your own family tree. To have something that has this kind of lasting legacy from generation to generation. I think about three generations in my family, and we're already pretty close to covered wagons. Especially out here. You know, how many are pioneers? Maybe you have pioneers, friends, or family that, that, that I mean, they were actually the ones that came out west and settled this area and, and, the, and the west that we know today. And how has that changed? It's only taken a couple of generations. We were talking about this on the way here, right? How much has how much has changed since 100 years ago even? Well, 100 years ago, you go back, you're going to have to say goodbye to a lot of things, aren't you? 
Uh, you're going to have to hitch up the horse and wagon to get here. <laughs> you're going to have to do different things. Like, I mean, even back then, cars were just on the cusp of being being a thing, right? And now we have like technology that we can we can digitize ourselves and show up in somebody's living room and, and talk. And before you had to send things by post, and, and you could wait two weeks for everything, right? How have things changed? Generation to generation. But there's something that remains constant. And this faith that Paul observed in Timothy, he says it started in your mother and in your grandmother. Generational passing. Passing that faith down. Now, some things about this faith. Three things, really, that I'd share with you this morning with the time that we have remaining. I see that the faith of these two ladies that wound up being embedded in Timothy, it was an assured faith. They were sure about some things. Two things I'll share with you in particular here. Uh, This faith was also an authentic faith. It was a faith that could be authenticated. It means it was genuine. It was real. These ladies really walked with, with the Lord. And they knew their Bible. And this is a faith that uh, it's assured, it's authentic, it can be authenticated. And thirdly, this faith is an ageless faith. I wanted to give you the right A, because we're preachers, we have to alliterate everything, so you can remember it. Right? No, I can't even remember it. Ageless. So let's break that down and look at these three ideas. Join me in, in thinking about how these ladies had an assured faith. Now, when I'm talking about assurance, I understand, you know, many times I'll, I'll talk in discipleship about assurance of salvation versus eternal security. And hopefully you know the difference between those two doctrines. One is completely objective. Eternal security is completely objective. That means, you know, everything that has to do with salvation, God did it. We believe and we get to enjoy that, but that's on God's end. He's the one who upholds that new covenant between the Father and the Son, the Son giving His life, all of that. I don't do any of that. God did all of that. That's eternal security. So once I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I'm saved because God did it. That's objective. That doesn't change. That's that's timeless. But there's also a subjective element in that I might not always feel like I'm saved, especially if I'm walking in sin or living in darkness and not walking in the light like I should. I can drift. Even though I'm saved and I'm on the way to heaven, God's already done that. He sealed it. I might not feel that way because I have the ups and downs and I wonder why am I still struggling with this or, or challenges come or it feels like, you know, there's cement between me and God and it's, it, prayers are, seem like they're bouncing off the ceiling and I wonder, God, are you even hearing? I can assure you he is, but sometimes it doesn't feel that way, right? If I regard iniquity in my heart, he, he's not going to hear me. The Psalms teach us that. So there are things that can hinder our prayers. But God answers the prayers of his people when they pray with with, with the right heart before him. We pray according to his will. So assurance is more subjective. And I say that because I don't want you to get thrown off in thinking about this, this idea of these women having an assured faith. They were certain of some things. And I hope that you will be certain of some things by looking at their faith. First off, they were certain about the scriptures. We read these verses together and Paul tells Timothy, you need to remember that you were taught from a whole, from a child the holy scriptures which were able to make thee wise unto salvation. Who taught him those holy scriptures? Well, to look at these ladies, I want you to turn back to the book of Acts in chapter 16. 
and, uh, and, and keep me on track here, because if I'm not careful, I'll just keep reading through chapter 16. There's so many wonderful women that we can talk about in this passage, in this chapter. But I just want you to see where these ladies are mentioned in Paul's journeys. This would be Paul's second missionary journey. And he comes and arrives in a place called Derby. He comes to Derby and to Lystra. Acts chapter 16, I'm in verse number 1. And behold, hey watch this. Look what God does here. Behold this. Behold, a certain disciple was there. Now we're doing his name right in the next phrase. This certain disciple has a name. What's this disciple's name? Timothy. Timotheus. And he's the son of a certain woman. Do you see the word certain? That means he's going to name these people. It's not just a story here that he's telling about. These are real people. So he comes to Derby. He sees a certain disciple. This certain disciple's name is Timotheus. And Timotheus happens to be the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess. And believed. Two characteristics right there about this certain woman. Now this is Timothy's mother, right? She was a Jewess. What does that mean? Well, she would be very familiar with Judaism. She would know the Old Testament scriptures. And so from Genesis to Malachi would be her Bible. And she, she was thoroughly versed in that. She's a Jewess. Oh, but there's more. She also had faith. She believed. What does this tell us about? There were plenty that didn't believe. I mean, we're, we're talking about living in a day where you've got some, uh, some crazy-sounding people running around saying that Messiah has come. Now, put yourselves in a, in a Jew's position in that day. Messiah, we've got to prove this. We, we've got to test this. Remember, Paul, as his manner was, he would go into a place like this. He would go into a place like Corinth, and he would reason for days, I mean, weeks with them in the Scriptures. And what was the point of reasoning with them? To show these Jewish people that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He would go into the Sabbath, into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he would reason with them to point them to Christ. So this woman has a Jewish background, but there's more. She's a believer. She has made the step of faith to appropriate that Jesus Christ is God's anointed Savior for the world. He is the one that fulfills the proto-evangelium, uh, uh, proto the, the gospel given in Genesis 3.15. He is the seed of the woman that will crush the serpent's head. He is the one that fulfills Jacob's scepter of righteousness, not departing from Judah. He's the one that Zechariah says, they will look upon him whom they pierced. He's the one that Isaiah, when, when Philip joined the, the eunuch on the way back to Ethiopia, he was reading Isaiah 53, couldn't understand it. Understandest thou what thou readest? Philip took that passage in the Old Testament in Isaiah 53 and preached unto him Jesus. And that, that unit got saved. So here is a certain woman, Timothy's mother. She's a Jewish. That's her background. That's where she comes from. But she also believed. But her father, uh, but his father was a Greek. And so Timothy lived in this household that uh, you've got you've got an interesting makeup here, don't you? You've got this Greek man who marries this Jewish woman, and this Jewish woman uh, then comes to faith in Christ. We're not told very much about Timothy's father. I, I tend to surmise that he was away on business a lot, and, uh, and so Timothy would, would learn most of everything that he would need from his mother, uh, but that's just a, you know, surmising. That's the best guess. I don't know, uh, because the scriptures really are silent about Timothy's, Timothy's father. 
But here he says uh, in verse 2, which was well reported of by the brethren, which were at Lystra and Iconium. So now these, these people, Timothy and his mom, do we see grandma in here yet? No, we don't see grandma listed yet. But these two, this mom and her son, had a report, and it was a good report. When people down in, uh, in, uh, in Iconium, when people down in Lystra would talk about Timothy and his mom, they would talk about the well report. and say, yeah, they're, they're, they're people, they're good people. You, you can rely on them. They're real people. They're genuine. So we see there's a little bit of a background here. Timothy's mom was absolutely sure about the scriptures. She had an assured faith. She knew what she believed about the Bible, that this is God's word. Now, it's interesting. In the passage we read, we read in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Did Timothy's mom believe that? Was she assured of that? Of course she was, because Paul reminds Timothy that you learn the scriptures at her feet. Hey, let that sink in. Let that sink in. Who had a great influence on teaching Timothy the scriptures? His mom. His mother did. They're assured in the scriptures. They're also assured in the Savior. So assured in the scriptures, think about it like this. Paul says in, in uh, Romans ten seventeen, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. This unfeigned faith that's in Timothy is going to be passed to him by his mother who teaches him the scriptures. He hears the word of God and the same faith abides in him. The generational transformation occurs. And I can't stress to you how important it is to know this book and to know what you believe about this book. We live in a day and a time where this word, the scriptures, have come under attack like no other day. And I, I think the devil has a plan in that. And it's been the same from day one. I mean, isn't that what he did with Eve? Yea, has God said. First thing he does is question the scriptures. So if you're going to have this kind of faith that's going to pass down and have generational impact, number one, you need to be assured in the scriptures like they were. You need to abide in the word. You need to continue in the word. Jesus said, if you... And he's talking to Jews there that believed on him in John 8. He says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. If we don't continue, if we don't abide, if we don't remain, if we're not sure about this, then what can we do about our foundation? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We need to have that foundation. And the foundation needs to be built on the Bible. And that's the way we've endeavored to have, have this church grow. Um, not on entertainment, not on on all these fads and things that come and go. We, we want to build what we're doing around the Scriptures. You're here because you love Jesus and you love the Bible and you want to learn more about the Scriptures. These Scriptures that you're coming to learn about are the same Scriptures that Timothy's mother and grandmother were absolutely sure of, that it is the Word of God. Now, I'm asking you to do something that is not rational. If you try to rationalize this, you're not going to make that step. This step is going to have to come by faith. Because I can't scientifically you know, reproduce having Scripture come to you in a laboratory. Are you with me on that? I can't do it. We can't go back and retrace history. It's the same argument when it comes to evolution versus creationism. Are you going to believe that we crawled out of primordial ooze? Or are you going to believe that we were created? Are you going to believe that God gave His Word and was God enough to preserve it? Or are you going to believe that it's corrupted and tainted and we've got to go find it 
and that there's errors in the scriptures. There's two viewpoints on that. And there's, a, there's also that that says, I don't believe it's God's word at all. How can this be? I'll tell you what. If you will take this challenge, I'm going to tell you it's going to change your life. If you have any question at all whether this book came from God or not, did it descend from on high? Or did just a bunch of men get together and decide, oh, this needs to be in the Bible, this, this is scripture, this is... Did this come from God or not? If it did, then I'm going to challenge you, get in here and prove it. Read it. Get in this. And seek it out and see if you can come away with the same assurance that God gave us His Word. These ladies were absolutely sure that this, the Scriptures, were from God. They were also absolutely sure that Jesus Christ is the one that was sent to be the Savior of the world. And they helped Timothy learn these Scriptures. Now, this was amazing to me to think about. Mull this over. By the time Paul's writing to Timothy, how many books of the New Testament do we have? I don't know for sure, because I wasn't there, and neither were you. We could talk about it and guess. We don't really, we can pinpoint general generalities on a lot of the dates. I'm pretty convinced that she would have had the book of James maybe written down. I think that's one of the, the first books of the New Testament that was actually put into writing. Uh, she's going to have the teachings of the apostles. But it's not until the apostles start getting older and realize, you know, Jesus hasn't come back yet. We've got to write this down so that the truth can be preserved to the next generation. So think about that. After the crucifixion of Christ for the next couple of decades, next few decades, you can go and ask Matthew. You can go and ask John. Uh, maybe not James because he was killed pretty early. One of the first martyrs. You can't ask Stephen, right? Because he got, he got put to death by the Jewish leadership for preaching to them the truth of the scriptures. But what am I saying? What was their Bible? Paul's saying that Timothy was taught the scriptures, the holy scriptures, from a child that was able, capable, powerful enough to make him wise unto salvation. Notice it wasn't just the teaching of the scriptures that saved him. It was the teaching of the scriptures that made him wise to who Jesus was and is and is to come. I'll just go and finish that. So, the scriptures. What scriptures? The Old Testament scriptures? That's a neat thought. You mean I can sit down with the Old Testament and find Jesus? That's part of my challenge to you. Did this book come from God or not? Search it out. Don't just take somebody's word for it. But I guarantee you, like so many others who have come even to disprove these scriptures and have sat down with them to argue against them and to say, no, you know, there's contradiction here. No, this didn't come from God. They're, they're trying to really get to the truth. The truth is, this did come from God. And if you'll take that challenge... I guarantee you, being in this book will change your life. Hey, look at it this way. Even if it's just the New Testament, what could it hurt you? What is it going to hurt your life to read this book? What is it going to take away from you? If you read this book and you appropriate and apply the teachings of Jesus, you know what? You're going to learn how to love people better. Do you not want to do that in your life? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be kind to this. You understand where I'm going. What's it going to hurt? I submit it's only going to help you in the end, and you're going to grow. These ladies were absolutely sure of the Scriptures. They were absolutely sure of the Savior. They knew that Jesus Christ is the one to come and take our sins away. This is Paul's second missionary journey, and he's able to come 
And in Acts chapter 16, where we were, he stays with them, I believe, for some time. And he's able to open the scriptures to them and help them see more fully about the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is already a scripture-saturated home before Jesus even showed up through Paul. They were already grounded in that. So when Paul's talking about these things, they're putting two two together. They're saying, yeah, Jesus fulfills that. Jesus is the one. Jesus meets this. Every prophecy. And there are plenty of people smarter than me that have done this and made the lists. And if you want to know how many prophecies Jesus Christ fulfills, there are over hundreds. I've got a list that has at least 300 Old Testament prophecies that were given that Jesus Christ fulfills down to the letter. I'm talking about dotting the I's and crossing the T's didn't miss a single one of them. The chances of this are, are astronomical of happening, the ratio. It can't happen. And yet Jesus Christ fulfills everyone. And these ladies, they believe the word of God, and they believe that Jesus Christ is the one who came. He's the fourth man in the fire in the book of Daniel. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown in Nebuchadnezzar, sees four men walking around. He's the fourth man. Uh, he's, the, he's the man that wrestled with Jacob in the night. I believe that Jesus Christ, I, I take it that that was him. Uh, he's, the, he's the one that showed up to a, a man and his wife who couldn't have children and said, hey, you're going to have a son and uh, he's going to be the next judge of Israel. Manoah. Uh, Manoah is the father. And Samson is born. Jesus Christ is the one who comes with two other with him. In Genesis 18, and Abraham sees him coming and they have that great, great feast together and then and then this angel of the Lord reveals to Abraham his mind about Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham intercedes and prays. Oh, how many times can we look in the scriptures and see, and see Christ? He's the one. He's the one. All these prophecies about that prophet that should come. He fulfills every one of them to the letter. So Timothy's mother and grandmother were absolutely assured of this. There's a, there's a story that talks about an African chief that wanted to know the secret of Britain's greatness. And this is obviously, you know, the days where the sun never set on the British Isles. So you've got to go kind of back on the history dial a little bit with me. But uh, this African chief, he wanted to know, what's the secret of Britain's greatness? Queen Victoria is reported, holding a Bible in her hand, said, Tell the chief that this book, the Bible, is the secret of that greatness. This book. Uh, you might think of America being founded in, and I can't pronounce his name, but the Frenchman that came over, uh, uh, Alex de Tocqueville, I probably just totally ripped that over. Forgive me if you, if you know how to pronounce that correctly. I need some help. But he came over and he was asked, you know, what's the secret of America's greatness? And he said, the Christians, the churches, God, the Bible, that's what he pointed back to. I'm just representing because it's a fact of history. It wasn't in her in her industry, it wasn't in these areas. What made America great was, was this. This is what sets it apart. What's going to make your home great for you to be fully assured that this book is from God, that he has written it personally to you and preserved it down through the ages, that you can have it and open it and study it, that you can also be absolutely sure that Jesus Christ, the Christ of the New Testament, not these... Other Christs that are out there today. There are plenty of other messiahs. But there's only one Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And his life is recorded on these pages. And you can learn about him. And if you believe that he really lived. And that he not only lived on this earth. But died for the sins of mankind. That he's the son of God. Without sin. 
And he is the sacrifice for your sins. If you appropriate your faith in him, then you can be sure that he's the Savior. Secondly, it's an authentic faith. Uh, it's a faith that can be authenticated. It's a genuine faith. That's what I mean by that. Nobody, nobody, think about this. In the home, who is better to communicate eternal truths than mom? Dad can do it, sure. He has a role in that. But I'll tell you, even in our house, there are many times where I would like to be there and I can't, but my wife is with my children and so much of it. I understand, you know, every home's different and every structure's different. But, hey, there's a connection. There ought to be a connection between a mother and a child that it's, it's not like any other connection. Who better in this, in this young, developing, maturing life, who better could they have than mom to sit down with them and say, this is the Bible, this is the way, this is how to find peace in life. This is where real joy is. This is how we make it through the ups and downs. We rely on the scriptures. Who better than mom to take that and, and not only educate them, okay? This comes, this authentic faith uh, comes through the education. If you look at 2 Timothy, I almost did it, but I caught myself. 2 Timothy 3, verse number 14. Paul tells Timothy, continue thou in the things, <coughs> excuse me, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. Note that word learned. How did you learn them, Timothy? Has been assured of. Remember, it's an assuring faith, an assured faith. You learned it somewhere, Timothy. You've been assured of it. You found it to be true yourself, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Who is that? Who taught him? Who did he learn from? Well, Paul includes himself in that number. But if you go back to chapter 1 and verse number 5, can't we include Lois and Eunice in there too? I think so. Timothy learned these things. He was assured of them, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. I can't stress to you how important it is for parents to pass the teachings of Scripture onto their children. I can't stress the importance of that. If you do nothing else but give them this, and you can rest assured you've done more than so many others would ever do. Give them this. Give them the scriptures. Because this is what's going to help them long after you're gone. I think about the things that were instilled in me. I wasn't exactly tying them to scripture, but so many times I go back and I find there's a Bible verse that backs up what my papa taught me, what my mima taught me, what, what was handed down to me. There it is, right there in the scriptures. Okay, I want you to see how important this is uh, to Lois and Eunice. Let's go to Deuteronomy, and if you'll bear with me just a few moments, we'll look at some of this. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, this was so vital. I mean, how, how, were, how were the Jewish people going to carry on their faith? They're going to pass it down to the next generation. How are we as Christians going to impact generations to come? We've got to pass the truth of the New Testament and the Holy Scriptures down to that next generation. And that should start in the home. There's no better place for it to begin than right there at home. Don't wait for them to come to Sunday school to get it. Don't wait for them to go to church to get it on their own. Because that day may never come. But if you can start at home and help them understand the scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse number 9 tells us, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul singular diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. Note this, 
but teach them to thy sons and to thy sons' sons. Especially the day that thou stoodst before the Lord thy God in Horeb. When the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words. Hear my what? Hear my words. That they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth. Where did Timothy learn to fear the Lord like he should? From the faith that was handed in. Turn to Deuteronomy 6. You're there just a couple of chapters ahead. Verse number 6 of Deuteronomy 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be where? In thine, a singular, in your heart. You nicely, you've got to get it in your heart. Lois, you've got to get it in your heart. But also, look, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto who? Thy children. Did Eunice do this? Did Lois do this? Timothy's living proof that they did. They had it in them, and then they passed it on. Can I tell you, if you're not real, if you're not authentic in your walk with the Lord, if you really don't believe this is the Bible, but you're pretending that you do, it's going to come out, and the first people that are going to recognize that are those that you're trying to raise. They're going to see it before anybody else does. You want to know anything that's wrong with me? Ask them. And they will give you an earful. I understand that. And I'm humbly being, being transparent before you. Right? They see the good and the bad. But I'll tell you, what I've striven to do is to be who I am in the Lord before them. And as much as I can, I want to live my life in a way that says, what you see is what you get. I ought to be no different behind here than I am in the corridors of life, everywhere life takes me. And I'm saying that as a pastor. You as a Christian are no different. You're an ambassador for Christ. If you name the name of Christ, you have a responsibility to uphold that name to a lost and dying world. You ought to be no different in every venue of your life. Just be who you are in the Lord. And your children will see that. And they'll rise up and they'll call you blessed for it. Because they'll say, they're not perfect, they're not sinless, but they love the Lord. And they're doing the best they can to help me find the truth in life. And I can see their faith is genuine. There must be something to this. Okay, if you're going to believe anybody in the world, if anybody in the world was trustworthy to you, now I'm, okay, I have to set the stage. We have to talk about people who are trustworthy to begin with. I'm not talking about some family who they fell off the wagon, you know, and this mom is not a good mom, not a role model. I'm talking about mothers who genuinely are what we think of when we think of mothers. Are you with me? Okay. So without that breaking down any further, who better could you trust if you can't trust your own mother? I'll tell you, if my mom tells me something, I'm going to honor that. I'm going to have to investigate more. If she says there's something to this, you need to find this out, why would she leave me wrong? Again, I know there are horror stories all over the place about mothers that do, and I don't understand that. I, that's beyond me. But there are plenty of mothers who genuinely love God and they love their children and they want to pass that on to them. That's who we're talking about. Why can you not trust them? Say, there must be more to this. When it's talking about the scriptures, investigate that. Don't just take it as, oh, that's you know my mom's book. That's my mom's faith. That's No, look that out for yourself. It needs to be authenticated. Well, I've got more passages that we could go to, but I won't. I think you get the idea from Deuteronomy. But this was inherent in the culture of Israel. 
They were to pass the truths of the scriptures to the next generation. And that is inherent in what we do in teaching the next generation and discipling them. Timothy was called a certain disciple. He was one that was following and he needed guidance to follow Christ. And he did. He became Paul's son in the faith. Not only was this through education, personal education, Lois and Eunice invested time in Timothy's life to make sure he understood the scriptures they taught him. It was also by personal experience. They lived it. They lived it. This was a practical example before Timothy. Notice uh, we read and it says, you've been assured of. And the next phrase, back in that verse we looked at in 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, says, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. This was a practical example. There was a reality in the lives of Lois and Eunice that Timothy caught. Let me give you an example. John Newton. Uh, he wrote Amazing Grace. He wrote, He Died for Me. How many hymns you know, did John Newton write? John Newton, in his most prolific days, like when he was the worst of the worst, right? Slave trading uh, you know, on this slave ship out of the middle of the sea. In his own testimony, he could never forget his mother. You know what brought him back to the Lord? It was mom. His mother. When he was only eight, Newton talked about my mother's God, the God of mercy, have mercy upon me. That was his prayer. My mother's God. That's who he went to to get right. It was his mother's God. And he prayed, have mercy on me. She taught him that when he was only eight. What a transformation. God answered his prayer. In another family, such was the impression of uh, that of Susanna Wesley that she made on her son, John Wesley. John Wesley became known as, uh, as uh, the, the one who started Methodism. His mother, Susanna, in the Methodist line of faith, is called the mother of Methodism. Where did it come from? Well, Susanna, her faith. This is an authentic faith. It was lived out. It matched. And Timothy was able to observe that. And he knew this was real. Thirdly, and we're done, it's a faith to be admired. And by that I mean it's an abiding faith. Something that stood out to me is, if you look back in 2 Timothy chapter 1, I promise I won't keep you much longer. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and verse number 5 where we started. One thing that jumped out to me when I was reading this and studying it. Notice verse number 5, the second word in. 2 Timothy 1.5. What is the second word in that verse? I. Paul is the one who says, I'm calling to remembrance something that I see in you that started in your mother that was in your grandmother. I don't know what happened when Paul stayed with them. But something, something stuck with him. He looked at Timothy, he looked at his mom, he looked at his grandmother, and he said, I remember that. The time that he spent with them must have been precious. This is to be admired. Paul is admiring the faith of these ladies that is now in Timothy. And, and this is life-giving faith. I mean, we could go to Hebrews 11 and talk about, you know, by faith, uh, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Abraham. But you know what? There's some other verses in there that say, by faith, Rahab. By faith, Sarah, by faith, okay, you go read the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ, guess who's going to show up? Yeah, you're going to have all those men listed. 
but you're going to have Tamar. You're going to have Rahab. You're going to have Bathsheba. Ha! You didn't think I would remember. She's in there too. But these mothers, wow, this is an abiding faith. This is one that can be praised. And if you have a, a, an influence in your life like this, you need to thank God for it because they pointed you to Jesus. F.B. Meyer once said, it's not the quantity of faith, but the quality of faith that's important. Grain of mustard seed and a pellet of dust are similar in appearance, but the difference is immense. The one has no life burning at the heart of it, while the other contains life as God kindled it. Faith that has in it the principle of life is a faith with God in it. That's a wise statement. Thank you, F.B. Meyer. So what was the faith that was in Eunice? What was the faith that was in Lois that was passed on to Timothy? It was life-giving. Life-giving faith. It was an ageless faith. It's unfeigned. You know, seasons may come, seasons may go, life may change, it may ebb and flow, but when is a mother's influence and a mother's love ever out of date? Is it ever? In any generation? In any season of life? When is it ever out of date? William McKinley, he was shot. He, he was a senator, he was president of the United States, President McKinley. There's a story, and I'll close with this. He was a lawyer, congressman, governor of Ohio, president of the U.S. He puts me to shame because he kept in touch with his mother every day. And I need to call my mom more. I do. I need to touch base with her more often. But when he didn't see her, he wrote her, he telegraphed her. Yeah, he didn't even have smartphones. He couldn't even text, and he's doing better than me. Mid-October, 1897... He quietly left the White House. He took a train to Canton, Ohio, uh, just so he could walk to church with her again. What a story. When she became ill, he arranged to have a special train standing by at full steam, ready to take her, uh, take her bedside. And then one night, she, uh, she did call for him, and immediately he wired, tell mother I'll be there. Mrs. McKinley died on December 12th, 1897, in the arms of her 54-year-old son, her gentle Christian virtues helped mold this president's character. He got gunned down in Buffalo, New York, about four years after that, and he showed no bitterness toward his assassin, as the report's given. With Christian courage, he said, God's will be done before he died. And he asked to hear one, once again the hymn, Nearer My God to Thee. He said he wanted to hear that. Why? Because that's the hymn that his mother taught him. He said, I want to hear that one more time. Faith of our, we've seen faith of our fathers. One person turned the words into this. Faith of our mothers living still. In spite of darkening days of doubt, how our beams glow and thrill when that word faith is sounded out. I know there are many that don't measure the bar. Okay. But we've been given an example of two mothers in Scripture that did. And they had an assured faith, assured in the Scriptures, absolutely certain about who Jesus is. It was an authentic faith. They walked it, they talked it, and it made an impact in Timothy's life. And it's a faith that can be applauded and praised and lauded by Paul. says, I remember, I remember the unfeigned faith. It's there. Let's do our part 
to pass that same faith on to those that are coming behind.